the enemy was hard to identify. The war was not fought between conventional army forces, like in the First or Second World War. The Viet Cong blended in with the native population and struck by ambush, often at night. Massive American bombing campaigns did hit their targets, but failed to make the North Vietnamese concede. Promises made by American military and political leaders of the time that said the war would soon be over were often broken. And night after night, Americans turned on the news to see the bodies of their young flown home in body bags. Draft injustices like college deferment surfaced, hearkening back to the similar controversies of the Civil War. The average age of the American soldier in Vietnam, 19. And as the months of the war became years, the public became more impatient. Welcome to another episode of Print the Legend, a podcast for U.S. history students where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and in the first of a two-part series on the war in Vietnam, we look at the long-term and short-term causes of the war, escalation in the 1960s, and the point at which Americans said, enough is enough, the Tet Offensive. And in part two of our series, we examine how the war shaped the counterculture on the home front, how the war was brought to an end, and long-term U.S. foreign policy implications. The Vietnam War was the second longest war in United States history after the 2001 war in Afghanistan, which is still being fought as this podcast is being recorded in 2019. Promises and commitments to the people, government of South Vietnam, to keep communist forces from overtaking them, reached well back into the Truman administration. Dwight D. Eisenhower placed military advisors and CIA operatives in Vietnam, and John F. Kennedy sent American soldiers to Vietnam in an advisory capacity. But it would be Lyndon Johnson who ordered the first real combat by American troops and Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford to conclude the war. And despite the decades of resolve, billions and billions of dollars, nearly 60,000 American lives and many more injuries, the United States failed to achieve its objectives. And one factor that influenced the failure of the United States in Vietnam was the lack of public support. However, the notion that the war initially was prosecuted by the government against the wishes of the American people is false. The notion that a vast majority of American youths took to the streets to end the war in Vietnam is equally false. Early initiatives by the United States under Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy received broad support. Only two members of the United States Congress voted against granting Johnson broad authority to wage war in Vietnam, and most Americans supported this measure as well. The anti-war movement in 1965 was small, and news of its activities was buried in the inner pages of newspapers, if there was any mention of it at all. 
Only later did the war and public opinion begin to sour. And only a small percentage of Americans believed their government was evil or sympathized with the Viet Cong. But many began to feel it was time to cut losses. Even the ironic CBS newscaster Walter Cronkite questioned aloud the efficacy of pursuing the war. For it seems now more certain than ever that the bloody experience of Vietnam is to end in a stalemate. But it is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. But we really need to go back in time, way back in time, to understand the beginnings of our involvement in Indochina. And while Americans were girding to fight the Civil War in, yes, 1860, the French were beginning a century-long imperial involvement in Indochina. The lands now known as Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia comprised Indochina, and the riches to be harvested in these lands proved economically enticing for the French. After World War I, a nationalist movement formed in Vietnam led by Ho Chi Minh. Ho was educated in the West, where he became a disciple of Marxist thought. Ho resented and resisted the French. And when the Japanese invaded Vietnam during World War II, they displaced French rule. Ho formed a liberation movement known as the Viet Minh. And using guerrilla warfare, the Viet Minh battled the Japanese and held many key cities by 1945. Even paraphrasing the Declaration of Independence in the United States, Ho proclaimed the new nation of Vietnam, a new nation that Western powers refused to recognize. France was determined to reclaim all of its territories after World War II, and the United States now faced an interesting dilemma. American tradition dictated sympathy for the revolutionaries over any colonial power. However, supporting the Marxist Viet Minh was unthinkable, given the new strategy of containing communism. This is the end of eight years of bloody fighting in Vietnam, a shadowy, sinister war that has cost France dearly, a war whose last great tragedy is the final fateful surrender of the garrison at Dien Bien Phu. American diplomats subscribed to the domino theory, a communist victory in Vietnam might lead to communist victories in Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And such a scenario was unthinkable to the makers of American foreign policy. President Truman decided to support France in its efforts to reclaim Indochina by providing money and military advisors. And the United States financial commitment amounted to nearly $1 billion per year. The conquerors come with promises of peace and no new aggression against the South. The rest of the French troops withdrew, leaving a buffer zone separating the North and the South. Negotiations to end the conflict took place in Geneva. A multinational agreement divided Vietnam at the 17th parallel. The territory north of this line would be led by Ho Chi Minh with Hanoi, its capital. In the midst of diplomatic and military crises and personality clashes, South Vietnam holds an election. 
According to President Ngo Dinh Diem's government, almost 85% of Saigon's eligible voters and as many as 90% of those in the provinces turn out to cast their ballots for 123 members of the National Assembly. The southern sector named Saigon its capital and Ngo Dinh Diem its leader. This division was meant to be temporary with nationwide elections scheduled for 1956. And knowing that Ho Chi Minh would be a sure victor, the South made sure these elections were never held. During the administrations of Eisenhower and Kennedy, the United States continued to supply funds and weapons and military advisors to South Vietnam. Ho Chi Minh turned North Vietnam into a communist dictatorship and created a new band of guerrillas in the South called the Viet Cong, whose sole purpose was to overthrow the military regime in the South and reunite the nation under Ho Chi Minh. But now the United States was backing an unpopular leader in No Dinh Diem was corrupt, showing little commitment to democratic principles and favored Catholics to the dismay of the Buddhist majority. And in November of 1963, Diem was murdered in a coup with apparent CIA involvement. Few of No's successors fared any better. While Ho Chi Minh was the Vietnamese equivalent of George Washington, he had successfully won the hearts and the minds of the majority of the Vietnamese people. Two weeks after the fall of Diem, Kennedy himself was hit by an assassin's bullet. So by the time Lyndon Johnson inherited the presidency, Vietnam was a bitterly divided nation. The United States would soon, too, be divided on what to do in Vietnam. It was David versus Goliath with the U.S. playing Goliath. My fellow Americans, as president and commander-in-chief, it is my duty to the American people to report that renewed hostile actions against United States ships on the high seas in the Gulf of Tonkin have today required me to order the military forces of the United States to take action in reply. On August 2nd, 1964, gunboats off North Vietnam allegedly fired on ships of the United States Navy stationed in the Gulf of Tonkin. They had been sailing 10 miles off of the coast of North Vietnam in support of the South Vietnamese Navy. When reports that further firing occurred on August 4th, President Johnson quickly asked Congress to respond, and with nearly unanimous consent, members of the Senate and House empowered Johnson to, quote, take all necessary measures to repel North Vietnamese aggression. The Gulf of Tonkin Resolution gave the president a blank check to wage war in Vietnam as he saw fit. After Lyndon Johnson was elected president in his own right that November, he chose to escalate the conflict. By February 1965, the United States began a long program of sustained bombing of North Vietnamese targets known as Operation Rolling Thunder. At first, only military targets were hit. But as months turned into years, civilian targets were pummeled as well. 
The United States also bombed the Ho Chi Minh Trail. It was a supply line used by the North Vietnamese to aid the Viet Cong. The trail meandered through Laos and Cambodia, so the bombing was kept secret from the Congress and the American people. More bombs rained down on Vietnam than the Allies used on the Axis powers during the whole of World War II. Additional sorties delivering defoliating agents, such as Agent Orange and Napalm, to remove the jungle cover utilized by the Viet Cong, found itself into the lungs of many service members returning home years later. The intense bombardment did little to deter the communist. They continued to use the Ho Chi Minh Trail despite the grave risk. It soon became clear to General William Westmoreland, the American military commander in Vietnam, that combat troops would be necessary to root out the enemy. Beginning in March of 1965, when the first American combat troops waded ashore in Da Nang, the United States began search and destroy missions. And one of the most confounding problems faced by the U.S. military personnel in Vietnam was identifying the enemy. The same Vietnamese peasant who waved hello in the daytime might be a VC guerrilla fighter by night. The United States could not indiscriminately kill South Vietnamese peasants. Any mistake resulted in a dead ally would result in an angrier population. And by the end of 1965, there were now 189,000 troops stationed in Vietnam. At the end of the following year, that number doubled. Casualty reports steadily increased. And unlike World War II, there were few major ground battles. Most Vietnamese attacks were ambush or night skirmishes. Many Americans died by stepping on landmines or by triggering booby traps. And although Vietnamese body counts were higher, Americans were dying at a rate of approximately 100 per week by 1967. By the end of that year, there were nearly 500,000 American combat troops stationed in Vietnam. It was called Tet, a Buddhist holiday complete with firecrackers and celebration. A time of a ceasefire, the Viet Cong used that opportunity to attack the South. NBC News presents Viet Cong Terror. Now here is NBC News correspondent Frank McGee. The new communist campaign in Vietnam continues. Just after midnight their time, a band of Viet Cong raiders blew up a power installation and attacked two police stations in Saigon. Over 80,000 Viet Cong troops emerged from their tunnels and attacked nearly every major metropolitan center in South Vietnam. Surprise strikes were made at the American base at Da Nang. And even the seemingly impenetrable American embassy in Saigon was attacked. During the weeks that followed, the South Vietnamese Army and the U.S. ground forces recaptured all of the lost territory, inflicting twice as many casualties on the Viet Cong as suffered by the Americans. The showdown was a military victory for the United States, but American morale suffered an insurmountable blow both on the ground in Indochina 
and on the home front. When Operation Rolling Thunder began in 1965, only 15% of the American public opposed the war in Vietnam. As late as January 1968, only a few weeks before Tet, only 28% of the American public labeled themselves doves. But by April 1968, six weeks after the Tet Offensive, doves outnumbered hawks 42 to 41%. Only 28% of the American people were satisfied with President Johnson's handling of the war. The Tet Offensive convinced many Americans that the government statements about the war being nearly over were indeed false. After three years of intense bombing, billions of dollars and a half a million troops, the VC proved themselves capable of attacking anywhere they choose. The message was simple. The war was not almost over. The end was nowhere in sight. And that concludes this episode of Print the Legend, a podcast for U.S. history students where we take a look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. Coming up in part two of our series of Vietnam, of all the lessons learned from the conflict in Vietnam, one rings louder than all of the rest. It is impossible to win a long, protracted war without popular support at home. As the war dragged on, more and more Americans grew weary of mounting casualties and escalating cost. The small anti-war movement grew into an unstoppable force, pressuring American leaders to reconsider its commitment. Americans on the home front and the movement of a new counterculture in part two of Print the Legend. I'm Mr. Nasosi, and I look forward to seeing you right back here next time. Until then, keep learning.